Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Hi, everybody. My name is Thomas Barth. I'm the editor of WolvesBlog.com, a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wonders Football Club. Uh, you can find the website, obviously, at WolvesBlog.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at WallsBlog or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WallsBlog. Some very strong unified branding from Thomas there with WallsBlog. An absolute pleasure. (laughs) An absolute pleasure to have these guys on today. Unfortunately, we have to talk about something that's a little bit on the more serious side, which is obviously uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Obviously, we're going to stick to it from a footballing side. People far more informed than us can address you know, the geopolitical side. But uh, I just wanted to talk to you about some of the steps that have already been taken by footballing bodies with the Champions League final being moved by UEFA to Paris. Um, some FAs are refusing to play Russia, England, adding their name to the list uh, today as we record on Sunday. Um, and just word came across that Russia will be forced to play their uh, home matches in neutral venues and that they'll be stripped of the badge and anthem, which is pretty similar to how the Olympics has treated uh, Russia over the past few years. Uh, so I just wanted to start by asking you guys about those things and what you've made of the general response to this invasion by the footballing community. I think it's been pretty good. I guess some of the things to mention are Schalke, whose main sponsor is Gazprom, um, will no longer be, ha- and Gazprom is of course a major Russian um, corporation, um, will no longer be having their that sponsorship on their shirts. And I know UEFA is taking, or is reportedly taking steps to canceling their sponsorship with Gazprom for the Champions League. It doesn't look like that's actually happened yet, so we'll see before we go too far on that. But um, I think the, the response has been pretty good. Um, I don't know if a FIFA response is necessarily strong enough, but I'm not sure if there was a better one other than just canceling their matches altogether, which, I mean, I, I wouldn't have been opposed to, but I guess I can understand why that would be punishing the athletes who aren't necessarily uh, responsible for this. So I don't think it's a bad response. Um, maybe it could have been a bit stronger. Um, but uh, beyond that, um, I'm very, very satisfied with um, all these nations coming out and saying, no, we're not going to play you. This is a absolute farce. Um, we're not going to play against countries who are doing this to other sovereign countries um who are who would normally we'd be playing in other matches as well just to bring it back to a footballing perspective but um yeah i i'm very i'm pretty happy with how the football world has reacted to it um in general yes um i think i think the the premier league specifically have shown in recent years that they're very good at, at getting around big issues and this is probably the biggest issue of all isn't it you know it's um, but you, you look at things like the activity to kick racism out of the game, um, you know, gay gay rights, things like that. It, 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 they're pretty good. The players coming together. So all the stuff has happened that I would pretty much expect to happen. Um, you know, players getting around, particularly the 
teams with Ukrainian players getting around those players and mutual respect inside the stadiums that that's all been that's all been as you'd expect there's a high standard I think you expect from the the Premier League and the and the players in this kind of thing and, that, and they've certainly I don't think they've let themselves down in that respect at all uh, off the field obviously the big thing is with Abramovich and you know that was a big political move really yesterday it sort of seemed like it was a big thing, but to me, it wasn't. He was just shifting the power away temporarily, knowing that if this blows over or something changes, he can step back in. So I didn't really see that as a significant thing. I didn't think it was the, made the should have made the headlines that it perhaps did, because it was just more manoeuvring and um, symbolic, because they knew they had to do something. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think as far as what I would have expected to happen, I, I think all the all those. Pieces have been moved around the board in the, in the way that I would expect. And um, and generally, everyone's acted in what I would deem to be the correct and, in the case of Abramovich, predictable way. Yeah, there is yeah. obviously the Premier League side of this. And I think you make a good point on the Premier League typically taking the right stances uh, at large. And obviously, the Abramovich <laughs> comments and those made by Chelsea felt a little hollow to me. I'm curious what you guys made of those and if you expect anything like those from, from Usmanov and or Everton. Uh, yeah, those statements were absolute jokes. I mean, as of as of recording, there have been two statements: one from Abramovich himself, and one from Chelsea on Ukraine. Obviously, fluid situation. So maybe this is put out. There may be more statements, but um, so far there are only two. Um, the first one from Abramovich it, it said nothing. Um, he said he was he taking a slight step back in some of the day-to-day operations. Um, but the Telegraph reported uh, earlier today um, that. The Premier League has received no formal application that would see Chelsea's ownership change. Not shocking. Um, the statement didn't actually say anything. If you like read it, it's it, it seemed to be made a big deal. But when you actually read it, it doesn't really say anything. Um, and then they put a statement out on uh, just the state of everything in Ukraine. Um, unsurprisingly, the words Russia, war, invasion, nowhere to be seen. Um, a pretty an unsurprising statement considering who Roman Abramovich is. Um, but like we should not give them any credit for that. That's that's an absolutely nothing statement. That is just saying, please, hey, look, see, I'm doing something. Please don't sanction me. Yeah, I, mean, I don't don't think I can say anything on top of that. Uh, I think Chelsea's ownership is is very convoluted. Anyway, I was reading about that how the shell companies and you know it, it, it's very it's very hard to pin down. The only way that you can actually identify Abramovich as the owner is the fact that he's he's. He's got the majority shareholding in one of these companies. Um, so it's not exactly straightforward anyway. You know, whether his name's above the door or not, he's going to be the one making the decisions um, and having a huge influence you know, unofficially behind the scenes. So it's, it's just, like I said before, it's just manoeuvring. It's just political. And this is what, you know, Everton, if they're, they're forced into making that. I, I don't know what the, the situation, the ownership situation is at Everton, um, but they'll no doubt have to do something similar um eventually i mean their players yesterday against man city and i've got a ukrainian player that the fullback whose name escapes me um unfortunately he um you know so that they've, they've obviously been big on the pitch um making big gestures so you'd expect that if if they feel they need to do that then they will do it but um you know these these things are <laughs> sensitive politically um so yeah i i i'd be interested to see what develops there yeah, and then just one kind of final note on this conversation is that uh, the Polish FA have just come out like right now to say that regardless of um, what national anthem they're using or what name they're going by, they will not be playing Russia. Uh, so 
I expect that we'll see more of that as well after FIFA's decision this morning. So obviously a developing story, but ultimately it sounds like we're all pretty uh, pleased with how things have been handled thus far. Obviously, I think the right call ultimately would be for FIFA to ban Russia or UEFA from the qualifying stages. Either way would would probably work. But if people aren't willing to play them, um, you know, in theory, they'd get a pass if nothing was done because they'd have all these matches forfeit on the other side, so they'd be they'd be getting credited with wins for all of them. So time will obviously tell on all of this. We're not a political show, but uh, hopefully uh, that addresses the footballing side without having to, to get too far into the weeds. Um, let's get back to the football, though. Today was obviously the Carabao Cup final. It turned out to be quite a fantastic one, uh, all things told, although the flag did raise... <laughs> A thousand times at least. Um, Liverpool end up victorious on penalties after every outfield player took theirs. Uh, Liverpool's keeper scored his. Kepa, obviously Chelsea's keeper, missed his. Uh, And I was just curious what you guys made of the goalkeeping choices today at large. Obviously, Liverpool came into the match with their cup keeper. Chelsea dropped Kepa, who had been playing in some of the previous rounds, to play Mendy instead, but then brought Kepa back on for penalties and kind of an inverse of the sorry situation. I was just curious what you guys made of this situation at large and how your club would have dealt with a similar situation. I think generally it's pretty, it's a club by club situation, just depending on who, like who your backup keeper is and how the, you know, internal dressing room politics um, go on. Cause you know, lots of times um, to convince players to either come or not leave, um, you'll say to your backup keeper, I'll give you the cup games. Um, so you actually end up playing since goalkeeper is not a position that's rotated um, just due to like rest. Um, so as far as like, what is the correct way to do it? I think it is really just dependent on um, each specific team. But if generally how I would prefer it to be done is you put your number one keeper out for the cup final. That is like you. The point is to win the game. Um, you put your best players out there to do it. Um, and then as far as Chelsea subbing on Kepa uh, for Mendy. Um, it's such a hard decision to act. Obviously, in terms of how it actually went, he did not save a single penalty and then missed his. So in terms of just the results of how it happened, not great. Um, though it did add to Kepa's League Cup, just incredible legacy. The guy, he's an absolute legend of the competition. Um, but in terms of a more serious, um, what was it a good decision? I it's it's hard to say because it's just one game that happened. It obviously didn't go well, but doesn't mean like the decision is necessarily wrong. Um, but I think generally uh, Mendy's a better keeper, even if Kepa's thought of as a better penalty keeper. That's I don't know how how what the difference is between them in their abilities to save penalties and how like sur- sure everyone is on that. So it's kind of hard to judge for sure. Um, generally, I guess I'll if just to make a decision to not sit all the way on the fence, I'll say I'd rather keep the guy who's been playing the entire game, but I'm not like sure. Like, oh, it was a terrible decision. How could you possibly do that, Thomas Ducal? Either. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? I don't I don't get the whole play a goalkeeper all the way through to the final and then change it. I don't I, that doesn't really make any sense to me. Um why would you do it? Because you could have got eliminated any of those other rounds. I mean, they were playing in the they had a two-legged semi-final against Tottenham. Um, you know, if they if they deem the competition that important, surely they would have made a change there. I mean, it is odd um, to do that. I don't, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's good optics really for Chelsea. Um, you know, they've had so much drama with goalkeepers over the years, well, in recent years anyway. 
Um, so I really don't know why they did that. The whole thing, changing it for the actual shootout itself, that's fine. I mean, we've seen it work before. I think Tim Krul, didn't he? That was the famous one for Holland, I think, years ago. Came on and saved a load yeah. of penalties. Um, you know, it can work. If a goalie... I do think some goalies are better at saving penalties than others, aren't they? I mean, that is just... Uh, that's almost a, you know, a given. There are certain penalties. I mean, we had... Um, Wolves had Rui Patricio in goal, who's very good at saving penalties. Jose Sars come in this year... Looks a much better all-round goalkeeper, but he's not as good at saving penalties. And whenever someone's lining one up, I don't know, is it going to be a goal? I don't know. Just some keepers give you a give you a feeling. So I mean, there's two kind of issues really. The, the one is you know not starting Kepper in the first place if he's played all the all the cup games up to now. I don't know if that's actually the case. You might be able to tell me. But um, if he he's their goalkeeper, I find it find it strange. I mean, Wolves number two is John Ruddy, and when we had a run to the FA Cup semi-final last year, uh, a couple of years ago, and we got to the Wembley semi-final. Nuno stuck with John Ruddy in goal uh, for the semi-final and kept Rui Patricio out. And actually, it might sound a bit harsh on John Ruddy, but I think if Rui Patricio had played, we might have won that game um, because I think one of the goals we conceded, I just felt that Patricio would have got it. Um, So, you know, these things can make the difference. So, so I, I sort of... I sort of do and don't understand it at the same time. But I mean, if I was the manager of a team, I think I would either make the decision at the start of the competition, I'm going to play my reserve goalie in all the cup games because I want to give him a game. Or I'd say, OK, I'm just going to pick the, the 11 that I wanted to, to win that game. And maybe that is the view internally at, at um, you know Chelsea and how it differs with Liverpool. Um, and, and I suppose maybe it speaks volumes about the, the confidence that each of those uh, managers has in their reserve team goalkeeper because I think if uh, Liverpool had had some of the reserve goalies they've had in the past um, maybe Klopp might have taken a different decision but I think he's spoken in glowing terms about Kel, how do you say his name Kel Heller um, I think he rates him quite highly so I think that would that was probably an important point and I think Kepper has shown that he, he's <laughs> he's still got mistakes in him um, and there's there's a lack of confidence there so you know, but like I say, my 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 view would would be I, I would play my reserve goalkeeper and and I would stick with that decision. But um, you know, it hasn't uh, hasn't helped Chelsea today. Um, and I think it, it, I don't think there's a definitive answer. Yeah, well, apparently news is just flying in as we're recording today. Uh, Thomas Tuchel in his post match conference just said that he feels bad for him. Of course, Kepa simply has more time on the training ground for penalties. Then uh, he referred to him as Adu, who plays a lot more. Uh, does that does that change how either of you feel about it, or just kind of aligns with it? Oh, I don't really don't think so. I mean, he's probably just managing the question a bit there. It's a bit of a weird thing to say, isn't it? You know, my my number two goalkeeper. I thought all goalies did the same training. I didn't think it changed at all. You know, like you're saying because he's. <laughs> On the bench, he's gonna we 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 pelt more shots at him from the penalty spot, and he says, well, I, don't, "I don't know." I just he, he obviously just thinks he's a better penalty goalkeeper. I mean, you can't blame the bloke for launching the eleventh penalty into the sky, can you? Because that's that's you shouldn't expect your goalkeeper to be scoring penalties. So uh, I don't think you can really blame Kepper. Um, I think there's one or two of the penalties he might have done better with. Um, you know, they'll look back on, but you know, managers live and die by the, the decisions, and that's one that Tuchel will have to take because it's you know ultimately his decision. Yeah, I I don't think there's any single quote. Well, if there is a quote that's going to make me like vastly change my opinion of it, that's not it. Um, don't really think that changes anything particularly significant. Um, just kind of says what we 
what we already thought. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll go from there to talking about uh, something that I personally find a little, a little disappointing, which is that we will no longer get to see Marcelo Bielsa in the Premier League. He is obviously a very uh, he's a manager who's very committed to his philosophy. I'm sure the club asked him if he was willing to change some things due to their recent form. He probably said no. Uh, then they had to make an actual change. It's a bit romantic that he's so uh, attached to his philosophy and to his style, but clearly things not really working for uh, Leeds lately. They became the first club ever to concede 20-plus goals in a calendar month, and it was in the shortest month, just for a little added bit of bants there. Um, but yeah, I was just curious if you guys think that sacking Bielsa is, is the right choice for the club right now. Um, I mean, they're falling pretty hard. So, of the so, I guess the fact they were able to bring in um, Jesse Marsh, who I think is a pretty good manager, makes it a much better decision. If they like, they knew they had that lined up. Um, I, it's not just some random stopgap guy. Where it, it's not, it's not one where like you're firing the guy to get the new manager bounce. Almost they at least appear to have something of a plan lined up with a good manager um, to come in for Bielsa. So I think it's it it may it it may be necessary like they are only two points off the relegation zone right now and are have been in a really really bad way um as of late so i could definitely see the argument for wanting change and i think they brought in a pretty good replacement um for him so i think it's at least a pretty reasonable decision now i've sort of gone back and forth on it a little bit um I think generally my view is that lead the quality of that lead squad isn't brilliant. And I think Bielsa mm. made them a better team. So the fear would be if you bring in a guy now to play in a more conventional way, you know, and he puts them in a three, five, two or a four, four, two or whatever. And he sort of says, right, I'm going to introduce some structure here and I'm going to try and get us defensively robust. He hasn't got a, a lot of time to organize the team rap. And that's a massive change in the team. For what it's worth, I, I believe Marsh is, he's not Bielsa, man to, every man-to-man marking presser, but I believe he is a pretty um, press-heavy manager, kind of in the um, Hassan Hoodle, uh mold. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, you know. but what, so it's, it's, not a to- to- it's not a total shift, but it is a shift. Yeah, well, obviously, that, that, yeah, because you think that has to be a big consideration, you know, that the, the point is that the way they play, they play, play kamikaze football and uh, Bielsa, don't they say, right, it's all or nothing, we're just going to go in. We're either going to win this game and score more goals than you, or we're going to suffer at the other end, probably. Um, and I just think my view would have been, I would have gone, we need to live or die by this now until the end of the season. And I think the common view outside of Leeds was, if they got Calvin Phillips back and they got Bamford back and they got Cooper back, who I believe, not 100%, but I believe they're close to a return, then their results would have taken a rapid upturn because the spine of the team that they relied on to get where they were previously and play so well last season was was going to return and they'd probably pick up the results and they'd probably by virtue of the fact that Brentford are, are in free fall and some of the other teams are a bit spotty below they might just do enough to stay up um, and get the results they need so I don't know I, I personally would have just leaned a little bit more towards keeping him than getting rid of him because I, I can very clearly see a manager coming in thinking he can do something with the group of players, realising the quality is just not quite at the level it probably needs to be and, and, and them having problems. And I think when a manager leaves, it just does unsettle people. You, I think you're going to get people thinking about things, you know, Rafinha, Calvin Phillips, all these players, particularly Rafinha, I think, you know, because he's he's been linked with some really big 
big moves, you know, Bayern Munich, Liverpool, people like this. He's going to be thinking, you know, I, I, I'm going to be on the move at the end of the season, probably, whether we stay up or not, because I don't know what's going on here now. I don't know what the intent is. So what's his motivation going to be like? It, just lots of things like that. Personally, I would have opted for consistency uh, in the belief that Bielsa would have been able to chisel off three or four more wins and, you know, scrape the, the results they're probably going to need to to stay up. Um, I So my, my view is, in summary, I think it's probably increased the likelihood they'll go down just about. Yeah, I think you guys make a lot of good points. Do you think ultimately they have a better chance at staying up with them? Or kind of, as you guys have both alluded to, is it really just when are they going to get Phillips and Bamford back? Um, it's hard to know. Um, oh, and I don't think I actually said the new manager's name. Jesse Marsh um, from uh, formerly Leipzig. Um, but it's hard to know because as we, we've said and we all know, Bielsa's style is such an outlier to everything um, that it is hard to know whether they have a better chance. Um, yeah, I'll I'll say yes, they have a better chance, but I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it changes it significantly either way. Um, they may just be they may just not be good enough because I do agree I don't think the squad's very good. Um, they really are not that good a team, um, and I do think Bielsa has elevated them. Uh, if if this was some run of the mill. You like they just the leads hand it to their assistant manager for the rest of the season. I would feel terrible about them. The fact that I do rate Marsh and think he's a good manager um, gives me a bit more hope. Um, but I do think that it's a bad squad and Bielsa's done a very good job with them. Um, sometimes it's just time for a, a change is necessary. Um, and what I I think this may have been that that time. Um, it may not have been. I but I think it's at least like a reasonable decision to say we're in free fall regardless. So we got to change something. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the recruitment's been very good at Leeds um, since they've been promoted. I think there's really only Rafinha who you look at and go, he's really improved that team and really taken them on another level. Um, everyone else, they're still really leaning on the, the majority of the, the squad that got them promoted from the championship. And I think that's that's a problem. Um, they should have probably invested bigger in defence uh, over the summer, got some more solid personnel there. Uh, it's hard to know. I mean, I don't know from my, from my vantage point whether that is Bielsa or that's the club dictating to him who can and can't be signed, uh, what the financial constraints were on them. But yeah, I wasn't impressed with their business. I didn't think Daniel James was a particularly good marquee signing for Man United. I don't know why Bielsa was so desperate to get him. I didn't really see how he was going to alter the dynamic of Leeds and, and give them something that they didn't already have. Um, but yeah, I think the combination of poor recruitment and injuries, that is a deadly combination. And I think, like you say, because the way Bielsa plays on the edge, it, it, the margin between you know success and then spectacular failure is so thin. Uh, maybe, maybe they're saying, you know, for all my, maybe they should have kept him and lived or died by that philosophy. There's a sense that this other guy can come in and play in a slightly more subtle way and a couple of variations that, that maybe just tip a few games in, in their favour. Uh, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shuffle away from my point. I do think there's something to be said for consistency and and keeping him. The good feeling you had with the Leeds fans, um, to, you know, there's a big question mark over how much support this new guy's gonna get because he doesn't have that equity in the bank. They have a couple of poor results. You know, the crowd could turn and then they're in real problems then. So um, so yeah, I would I would have stuck with Bielsa. Yeah, I, I think I would have too. You look at the, the remainder of the season, and in theory, their fate is still in their own hands because what, what are they, two or three points uh, in safety right now, and they still have Norwich and Watford and Brentford. 
uh, who you imagine will all kind of factor in the race here towards the end of the season. On the other side of the spectrum, having City, Arsenal away, Chelsea, uh, and Thomas, you know, your Wolf side should certainly be on the list of, of teams you probably don't want to play. Uh, it, it's it's going to be tight to the end. So I, I can see them looking at what's left and thinking, you know, what, what's happened the last month can't happen any of the remaining months that we're going down. But yeah, it just feels feels a little too harsh to me, especially after the after how well he like ingrained into the community. I saw a lot of people saying it was like Poch at Southampton and then ultimately Poch at, at, at Tottenham or uh, Thomas for yourself. Nuno, when he was at Wolves, was like a, a prominent figure in the community, both on and off the pitch. Um, so yeah, a little surprised that this is all it took. And I'm sure you guys have seen, there are plenty of Leeds fans saying that they would have been willing to go down playing this style of football with Bielsa. Just like we're saying, just kind of wait and see if, if Bamford and Phillips are enough. I've, Obviously, Bamford had a setback in rehab, which, you know, you wonder what would have happened if he had made it back a bit earlier. But ultimately, I think one of the the good guys in football and obviously a great footballing mind is now gone from the Premier League. And in general, I'm sad about that. Uh, and, you know, good luck to them. If, if they manage to stay up and this is one of the reasons why, then I think it's a credible decision. But otherwise, if they end up going down anyway and or without Bielsa moving forward, I think that might be a bit disappointing. Uh, all right, we'll wrap up this section by talking about the European chase. Obviously, we're all in and around the, the same area. Uh, Arsenal with a few good results in a row. Obviously, Wolves with a few bad. Tottenham just up, down, up, down seems to be the, the flavor of, of the 2021-2022 season. Uh, but I just wanted to check in with you guys to see how confident you are that, that you'll be one of those top four, top six, or seven uh, places for either Champions League, Europa League, or European Conference League, and which matches that you're looking at here through the end of the season that could prove to be your biggest stumbling blocks. I feel surprisingly confident considering how I've been for the last couple of years. Uh, this is the best <laughs> I felt at Arsenal for a while. Um, we've actually been playing well for a lot, for at least a couple months in a row. Um, and I think the, the squad has actually found, we've switched a bit to a 4-3-3 from a 4-2-3-1. Um, I'm not even sure if that's the biggest thing. Um, more just, there's been a lot of growth. Martin Odegaard, started the season really poorly and as since he came back in um, i believe around the everton game in december he's been absolutely fantastic I and mean, he's he's a really big part of the improvement um Mikhail Saka just continues to get better of every single game i keep expecting him to have some kind of like it wouldn't even be a sophomore slump at this point like a third year slump um and he just keeps not doing it he's just been fantastic um even Lacazette's playing well lately, um, had eight shots against Wolves, including he didn't get credited with the final goal, but um, at least put, put the ball for Jose Sada, hit it into, into his own net. Um, I think we have, I think we're very likely to be top six or seven. That is very, I'd say very likely at this point. For top four, I'm probably going to say around like a 45, I think we're the, favorite among like each individual team's percentage points but we're probably still like i'd say like around 45 percent. so like you know obviously if you're 45 percent for something to happen you're 55 percent for it to not happen so i think there's probably still still a better chance for it to not happen than it will but we are also like have the best chance of any individual team um i think we're very vulnerable to injuries because the squad's very thin at this point but we also don't play that many games um we we don't have any european or cup competitions for the rest of the season um, so I'm feeling pretty good, even if that, it's I'm, I'm just a cautiously optimistic for a uh, cautiously optimistic, um, which is scary to be optimistic about our stuff for the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, as of now, I'm feeling pretty good. The games that will decide it are probably going to be um, 
the North London Derby whenever that gets rescheduled, and uh, the game at home to Manchester United. Those are those are probably if if there's if there's a single games that it's going to come down to, it's going to be those. Yeah, for Wolves are quite funny, really, aren't they? They just sort of they're being they're like what what do you call it like Schrodinger's European contenders because they've been simultaneously <laughs> considered and not considered at the same time. We sort of some people seem to show us in the graphics when they bring up the league table, and some people choose not to. So. I don't really know. And I think, but to be honest, I think that's kind of right because I feel like we're always threatening. We're always sort of, oh yeah, they're up there and they, they could do it if they just get this result in this match and then we don't do it. Um, we had a big match at home to Arsenal and Arsenal edged us out. We went and won two games against Tottenham and Leicester and we were back in it and then we went to Arsenal and we got ahead and then we got edged out. And then we sort of like, you know, we could get above West Ham if we won today and we just got edged out. They're all close games. Um, I don't think Arsenal, Tottenham... West Ham are really much better than Wolves. I, I think in those games, those teams have shown that potentially they've got they've just got a little bit more up front. They've got a bit more cut and thrust around the 18-yard box, particularly Arsenal, because I think you know we we found it they made it uncomfortable for us, even though we got into that defensive shape against them and and really made things tough. They still had that bit of trickery around the area. Um, and I just think we're just a little bit lacking. We can't do that. Like we couldn't break West Ham down today. Um, and I think that's where we're probably just going to probably just going to fall short because I'm not sure we're going to finish above any of those teams. I mean, maybe West Ham, if they, you know, they get gobbled up by European fixture congestion and, and, and other commitments. Are they still in the FA Cup? I can't remember whether they're still in the FA Cup, but um, that that might count against them. Or, you know, one of the teams has a horrible injury crisis. Um, but I, but my gut instinct is that we're going to end up around eighth, um, just just by virtue of the fact that those other teams have just got a little bit more than us. But we've certainly got a lot of, uh, even though we've obviously got to play some some big games, we've got a lot of winnable home fixtures. We've got Crystal Palace and Watford the next two, and it could be one of those situations where we get the results again, and then we're sort of back in the conversation. Um, but I think we've got some we've got some work to do. Um, on the on the plus side, we've got some players coming back. We've got Pedro Neto back. We've got Huang Yi Chan, who of course scored against Arsenal. And I think having those players is very important for Wolves because I think they've shown we can restrict teams to zeros and ones, but we've just got to be getting doing enough at the opposite end. So so hopefully now with a, you know a week to lick our wounds after these two tough losses, we can we can come back. But my gut instinct in the here and now is we'll be as we have been in the last two games edged out. Gotcha. Yeah, not not to belabor my own uh, <laughs> situation too much. I don't think Tottenham will get top four. I think a month ago it was entirely in our hands to do so, and then the losses to Southampton and Wolves and Burnley—you just can't leave nine points on the board like that. Not that when you look at, at matches like Wolves that you expect always to get the three points, but but you definitely can't do all three. Um, if you look at the stretch of the last five matches, if you said you know you get uh, six points, it's not good enough, even though. Uh, you know, one of those was that that huge win against City, and then the resounding beating of Leeds that resulted in Bielsa's departure. But yeah, just just not good enough for that top four. And uh, I'm kind of curious uh, how Conte would approach uh, would approach something like the Europa League if he'd still be around if we got the Europa League. If Kane sticks around if we don't get top four, uh, I think that's why so many Tottenham fans, despite coming into the year with very little expectation, all of a sudden got our hopes up because we were in a strong position. And we kind of need to get it to just like keep the status quo at the club, but obviously the status quo hasn't worked basically since 2008. If you're if you're uh, 
judging things off of trophies or, uh, you know, at least the last three or four years since Poch left, if you're just looking at general success on the pitch. So, yeah, not particularly confident about Tottenham getting top four, but very confident about landing in one of the European spots. All right, uh, we will take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk more about our individual clubs. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, Dan, we'll start off with you. Uh, sorry to bring up the past here, uh, but it's been a little bit since you've been on. So I just wanted to get your take on on the uh, Aubameyang exit in January. We joked previously about how Arsenal Football Club don't sell players anymore. In this case, you paid a player to leave. Uh, so I was just curious what you made of, of everything leading up to that, his departure and, and his seemingly bright start at Barcelona thus far. Um, so as far as his departure, he is he was not very good for us this season. Um, as much as we did pay him to leave, as far as far as I understand it, we paid the rest of his contract, or at least most of the rest of his contract for this season, but we're not on the hook for next season, which if that is the case, I think that's a pretty a pretty positive outcome for us. I was not expecting to be able to get off that contract um before it ended, um, considering it's massive and he's not been that player for a couple of years now. Um, so it may leave us short at striker, which is the somewhat concerning part, um, because right now we're down to Lacazette who, um, has had a couple good games, but is generally speaking, I think pretty, pretty washed. Um, he was in, this is before he went and took eight shots against Wolves. And I think even before the game against Brentford, we had a few, but he was in like the fourth percentile for shot or for shots among strikers, which is, um, not good. Uh, so it may Honestly, like losing and not having him as backup, theoretical backup may end up costing us, but I'm not sure he was ever playing under Arteta again. Um, for better or for worse, Arteta, if you get on his bad side, you're not. Co- it seems like you're not coming back. Um, like Ainsley, Maitland, Ainsley Maitland-Niles came back for a bit, but now he's kind of banished again. Um, he seems a bit, he, he does not seem to be one who is very forgiving um, and like will let you back in after you've broken his trust. Um, I don't know, but I don't know how many times he broke his trust, whether it was once, twice, five times. I don't know. But it seemed like that was that relationship was past the point of no return. Um, so to be able, so considering that fact, um, the fact that he hasn't been particularly good for us this year, um, and the, the, assuming that my understanding is correct, we are not paying his next year of his contract. Um, I think that's a pretty good outcome for us. Um, as far as his fast start at Barcelona, um, I haven't watched a whole lot of it. I know he scored a few goals, um, so I'm happy for him. Like I, I think he's a great guy, and it sucks how it ended um, again with an Arsenal star player ending really just in a toxic, awful way. Um, he did a lot of great things for us, and I, it's 
it's going to kill me if he's not remembered that way because he deserves to be. Um, he was very, very good for us. Um, and he seemed like as much as he, there seemed to be some issues with him, like showing up for practice on time um, or for training on time. I, he seemed like a pretty good guy. Um, so I, he worked very hard for us and was very good. So I, I hope he is remembered well, though I'm not sure he will be. Um, and I hope he does well at Barcelona. So him scoring some goals is nice. Yeah, him and Adama Traore exiting <laughs> from both your clubs weirdly, weirdly doing the business thus far at Barcelona. And yeah, it would be a shame if Aubameyang is looked back on negatively. But uh, I would hope that Arsenal, the next time they're faced with the choice of re-signing a 30-plus-year-old player, will think back on the last two times they tried to do it and maybe avoid making the same mistake again, again. It'd be nice. Um, <laughs> good luck with that. You already touched on this a little bit in the previous section, but I wanted to hammer home the point that you've lost just two of your last 10 Premier League matches. In case anybody's wondering how Arsenal went from people thinking you were struggling this year to suddenly being favorites for that top four spot. You mentioned some players kind of coming into form and a shift in, in tactics there. I, I guess there's not really much else outside of that, but but do you think that that's the main reasons that you've been able to really propel yourselves back into the Champions League race? So I think the biggest reason is um, guys like well, Erdegaard specifically going from not a zero, but like a fine, solid player to he's actually been really, really good. Thomas Party as well has been on a very good run of form, as well as um, Gabriel Martinelli coming in as the first choice uh, left sided left winger, left wide forward, whatever you want to call that position, um, at least the way he plays it. Uh, that has been significant because a lot of times we would either have we would either have a bombing um we'd have a bombing up top where he's the only shot getter um but he's not but he's not involved enough um with the build-up play or we would have um lacazette where and then like a three behind him of Saka, esr or smith row and odegaard which is um that's not enough shots and there's no shots in there um, Saka gets some, but he's he can't be like your main shot getter. Um, Martinelli helps that a lot. He's very active. He gets on the end of lots of chances. He's a very, very promising young player, um, and has actually been he's been more than promising so far. He's had a couple he's had a couple cold games lately, but he's been actually good as opposed to like prospect good. Um, that's been a big a big change. Um, we have shifted tax, tactics, but we were um, already playing well before then this has just been like another shift on top of it um i don't know if you or for people who watched um especially the most recent game uh, against wolves on thursday um you could see granite jaka popping in and playing as an eight and popping into a lot of spots he did not seem particularly comfortable in which was uh probably funny for a neutral kind of frustrating for me but it's uh, i'm not bad at him he's being played out of position which um, is what it is um we're still doing well in spite of that um and I think the shift has helped um, Thomas Party and Odegaard kind of find better form. So I do think it's worth it. Um, but I think, I've, I guess to sum it up, I think the biggest changes have been Odegaard uh, coming into form, as well, Odegaard and Party coming into form, as well as Martinelli coming into the team. Gotcha. Well, we usually end these by wishing you luck, but I, I kind of don't want to. But you That's know. fair. I would like for you individually to be happy. And if that comes via the route of football, then so be it. Um, <laughs> Thomas, we'll go to you to talk a little bit about Wolves now. Uh, very big call, obviously upset the FPL community, but also was a bit strange that the general footballing one was not starting Jimenez today. Do you think it was just tiredness on his legs? And what did you make of that decision? 
Well, uh, I think it, it's one of those with hindsight. You know, going back to the Kepper call, it's with hindsight now. It's going to say it looked a bad decision because we Fabio did okay, Fabio Silva, but he didn't really look like scoring. He sort of got into a couple of positions, got a few snapshots away. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a fairly quick turnaround, wasn't it, after Arsenal on Thursday? And Wolves put a lot into that game. And when you lose in the kind of crushing way that we did, you can imagine that's that's going to have taken its toll in a number of ways, mentally and physically. Um, Raul particularly missed one excellent chance to make it 2-0 against Arsenal. And I, I firmly believe that if he puts that in, puts that in, then we win the game because I don't think Arsenal scored twice uh, in that setup. Um, so th- there was a costly miss. Uh, he hasn't quite looked himself because I think that particular chance at the Emirates he would have taken gleefully in years gone by, but he snatched at it. Um, so I can kind of understand Bruno Lodge changing up the team, resting it. And at the end of the day, Fabio Silva's our record signing. He's a young guy. We've got to give him minutes at some point. Um, so there, there was a certain logic there. But, you know, five changes to the team today, including Raul. And, and I, I think I think the plan was to kind of stay with West Ham and introduce, you know, Neto and Jimenez, Pedence from the bench and and... and overwhelm them and then just typically just as we were starting to do that West Ham got a bit of a scruffy goal um and 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 we were chasing the game from there on out which we're not we're not particularly good at so um so yeah with hindsight perhaps if we'd started Raul we, we might have done a bit better and maybe got got a goal ahead but who knows our, our general play wasn't very good in the first half West Ham should have been ahead um in the game so it, it's, it's impossible to say but you know like i say with hindsight now i wish you'd started <laughs> started the the team that finished at arsenal and then made changes later on rather than the other way around yeah gotcha obviously uh not the best run from you lately losing three of your last five just one clean sheet in the last seven i was curious if you see anything uh, either tactically or performance-wise, why maybe your your defensive prowess has dipped a bit. I, obviously, the stats take is that you were kind of outperforming your expected goals against, but I was wondering if you were seeing anything on the footballing side. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you, you've got to take the games in isolation, I suppose, haven't you, really? Um, Arsenal, like I say, I have to, you have to take your hat to them and say they were very inventive around the penalty area. Wolves got the goal and they got back into their defensive block and they made it very tough for Arsenal but Arsenal just scored they just picked picked through us twice with two neat bits of interplay around the area and got goals I mean so that's just quality and I'd say if you go back to the Leicester game where we conceded last week again it was a really nice bit of play and and Leicester Leicester sort of overwhelmed us maybe there's a bit of sort of thinking because Wolves have conceded so few goals generally they get a lot of men behind the ball so maybe teams are sort of thinking well what we can do is commit a few men forward and maybe when we haven't got the pace and trial rate to call upon, maybe there's not that release and teams feel they can press more aggressively and get more men up the pitch. So maybe there's something in that. Uh, but I wouldn't say looking on, you know, from the outside at the performances, much has changed. Um, you know, every, every game in the Premier League is, is different in how it plays out. So, um, yeah, we've, we've just had some tough games. I mean, we've lost, OK, we've lost three three games, as you say, but two of those have been to Arsenal. Both of those games have been pretty tight affairs, nip and tuck, mm-hmm. and the same at, at West Ham today. So I, I still feel that we're, a, you know, a competitive outfit. We, we're quite a good units defensively. and We move the ball very well. We've just got to find that, that, that extra bit at the other end. I think that's more the challenge 
Because I think you all, we, we're never going to go on not conceding any goals because it's ridiculous. I mean, Man City have got the best defence in the league because they have the ball 85% of the time. Wolves have had the best defence, full stop, because the other teams have been peppering their goal and we've been keeping it out. Um, so I, I, I do have a lot of confidence in, in that team. What I would say, I suppose, more recently is we lost Samedo to injury at Arsenal. He's been a brilliant, brilliant performer for us last se- this season. I absolutely hated him last season. One of the most <laughs> hated players. I, I couldn't believe we'd spent so much money on him. But, he, you know, he settled in and Bruno's taken him on. So he, he's a big loss. So pers- if we've got personnel changes in there, as we saw today, because he changed both the wing backs, that, that, can have a, that, that can have an impact. So we might be in for a bit more turbulence if that continues to be the case. But if we can get that back five in place, I, I, I still think we'll be a tough nut to crack. Gotcha. And for those looking for improved Wolves uh, defensive performances, whether it be for your your fantasy or betting or or just general fandom, uh, you are about to face some not particularly elite attacks coming up in Palace, Watford, Everton, Leeds, Villa and Newcastle all in a row. That takes you into April. So uh, don't be surprised if if those things kind of pick up, although the tomato injury obviously could dampen that enthusiasm a little bit. Uh, And I just wanted to finish up talking at that end of the pitch, where, as you say, it's kind of where most of the excitement has been because there was a big debate about switching Rui Patricio for Jose Sa, who I don't think was viewed particularly highly by the international footballing community, but he's come in and just been absolutely brilliant. Just what have you made of that swap and, and Jose Sa himself this year? He's been excellent. He's been excellent. Um, I think at the halfway stage, a lot of the pundits had him down, in the UK anyway, had him down as the signing of the season. And I don't think that is an exaggeration because I think you know, the reason Wolves have done so well is because they've been very good defensively. And the reason we big part of the reason we've been so good defensively is because we've we've had a top class goalkeeper making very good saves and uh distributing well and, and just integrating perfectly into the team. And uh I think as well because he's like very comfortable playing sweeper keeper, he's happy to charge out of his goal and play with his feet, whereas Patricio was stay on your line and just get everything that comes near you. That was his style. Uh, I think it has changed the way Wolves Wolves defend and attack as a team because we can push a little bit further up the pitch, condense the game a bit more. Um, and so he, he, he's been outstanding, really. I'd be, I'm shocked he hasn't yet had his uh, first cap for Portugal, but I've got to believe that's coming. I think Portugal are a very defence-minded national side. And I think that's probably why Patricio is still preferred because he's, a, he's probably viewed as a sort of safer lower risk goalkeeper but um but no Sarah's has been brilliant you know in the same way you'd say Ramsdale has kind of gone in and and improved that Arsenal team and maybe taken them up a level uh, I'd say I'd say Sarah's done the same at Wolves um yeah and, and I, as I say I think across even across the whole division I, I'd say he's a contender for signing of the season across the whole Premier League yeah, he's obviously been absolutely fantastic since joining. So congrats on getting in a terrific one in, in Jose Sa. Uh, we'll move on to Player Watch now, where I just wanted to ask you guys, who, who is your club do you think will score the most goals from now until the end of the season? That is an incredibly hard question, considering our striker doesn't score goals. Um, I will go with... Bukayo Saka with no level of confidence in that in that um, <laughs> guess because it's really a guess. Um, normally, I would just say who the striker is, but like I said, he doesn't score, um, which is why I think he's a bit cooked. But yeah, so I'll say Saka, but it might be him, might be someone else. Really don't know. 
Yes, I mean, same for Wolves. I mean, with a team that don't score any goals. Um, the, the obvious one is Raul Jimenez, because you'd imagine he's going to still start the majority of games. He's our penalty taker, although we haven't had many penalties. Um, he's a very good penalty taker as well. So if we, if we get four or five penalties over the second half of the season, that's going to take him into double figures alone. Um, so it's, a, it's probably him. And then Wang Ki Chan, um, he's our joint top scorer with a massive five goals in the Premier League. So, but his his um, goals to games ratio is pretty good because he only joined late in the summer window and then he was out for a long spell with injury. So he's actually got a pretty decent return in terms of goals against numbers number of minutes on the pitch. Um, so he's probably a decent bet for a you know fantasy Premier League signing because uh, <laughs> I imagine he's going to get plenty of minutes. I think Pedro Neto. He's a very aggressive, you know, goal scoring, you know, forward. He can play right across the front line, but he's, you know, he's finding his way back and he's, he's got to make up a five goal difference. So probably not him. So if I had to, if I had to, you know, put my money somewhere, I'd put it on Raul Jimenez, but um, possibly Wang Ki-chan. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Huang is a, a really interesting player and it's, it's really cool to see the, the close relationship that he and Sun have. I'm sure you saw after you beat us that the two of them just like sat <laughs> just behind the glass doors uh, and just chatted for a long time, which is, you know, it's always nice to see that kind of like human side of the game, if yeah. you will. All right, Dan, we'll start off with you talking about Arsenal. Obviously, you're going to be up against Watford, who uh, have not particularly been uh, astonishing this season. I think some thought that maybe bringing in Hodgson would really lead to a positive uh, flip in form. Not necessarily the case, although they did just keep their first clean sheet since before the pandemic hit in the Premier League. So credit to them. Obviously, they weren't there the whole time. But I expect you're heading into this one with a certain level of confidence. Yeah, I would we really just we can't afford to drop many points regardless um we definitely can't afford to drop them against relegation um, strugglers um road like it's away games are always tough uh because they just are but like we need this is a game we absolutely cannot afford to drop points and i don't expect us to um we've done pretty well um taking care of business against the bottom teams this season um that is a great way to make top four um and i expect no less from this match um Watford have not been particularly good this season, and we are on a pretty good run. So, yeah, I'm very much expecting a win. Anything else would be um, extremely disappointing and extremely detrimental. Yeah, it would actually be fitting with this top four race. <laughs> that, that's true. Win. No one actually wants four. Not one team <laughs> yeah, it seems to be the case the last four or five years, but we'll see how that goes. And then, Thomas, you're going to be hosting Crystal Palace. Kind of an interesting team in their own right this season, probably around a similar level. Are you expecting to be able to win this one, or do you think it might be tough? Uh, I think... We, we've we traditionally done pretty well against Palace at Molyneux over the years. Um, so I would hope we'd have a good chance of getting a win, but they're a difficult team. I never like playing Crystal Palace. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's just their shirts. I don't know what it is. Whenever we play Crystal Palace, I just think, oh, it's going to be a tough game, that. They've always got a lot of pace, a lot of sort of tricky players. You can, and that always seems to be the same. It doesn't matter who's managing the team. I mean, I've been watching them for 25 years, <laughs> coming down to Molyneux in different divisions. They've always got those players, always got the same profile of players who can, you know, do 20 step overs or, I don't know, just muscle their way in. And so it's, it's a dangerous fixture. Uh, they completely outplayed us at Selhurst Park, and that can't be forgotten about. Uh, they, they, they bullied us in the second half, could have been even more than the 2 0, I think it ended up being. Uh, so it's a tough game, tough game. They, they picked up a little bit, and they thrashed Watford. and 
I think they drew with Burnley yesterday and, you know, I think that was a bit of a game of two halves. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit nervous. I, I, I think the, by virtue of how Wolves play, we, we don't win many games convincingly. They're always nip and tuck. What I would hope is that home advantage, uh, a week after recover from these these games, the fact we've got a, a near fully fit squad, I don't know how serious the injury to Samedo is, that, that could be significant. But I just hope that will tip things in our advantage. I'd like to get a minimum of four points from the next two, Palace and Watford, to sort of keep us on a, on a positive uptick, even if we're sort of then thinking about top seven rather than these dreaming of the top four, um, which probably is fanciful now. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I would probably just back us to squeak through based on home advantage, but I'm not, I'm not massively confident. Yeah, well, certainly good luck to you and Wolves in that one, and that'll do it for the show today. So if you'd like to tell any folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Uh, yeah, I'm still Dan, and I'm still an Arsenal fan. You can still get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for having me on again, guys. I am, of course, Thomas from uh, wallsblog.com. I'm not going to disappoint Kev with my branding, so you, you can definitely <laughs> find us on Twitter at wallsblog or facebook.com forward slash wallsblog. Uh, if you want to get involved or your team's playing Wolves soon, uh, check us out. Yeah, definitely do that. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find this show by searching EPL Roundtable on Google or Twitter or any of those things. Not as strong branding-wise, but pretty decent. You can get some EPL Index stuff mixed in <laughs> on our site as well. Uh, and, of course, if you'd like to reach us, you can either do it by tweeting us or emailing us or any of those fun New Age media-type things. But we'll leave things there. Thanks again to both Thomas and Dave for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.